Good morning, Dream City Church. How are we doing today, guys? Anybody in this room love Jesus this morning? Anybody thankful for the blood of Jesus in your life this morning? Man, I'm so thankful. We serve an amazing God, and I'm just so glad that you're here today. And uh, we are on part two of our series, uh, probably our favorite series that we do every single year for me. Uh, you know, Psalms 107 says it like this. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And every person in this room has a testimony. If you're a born-again believer, a story of how God rescued you, a story of how God protected you, a story of what God has done in your life. And I just love this series as we celebrate what God has done in, our, in, in other people's lives. Because, listen, if he can do it for them, then he can do it for me too. Come on, somebody. He can do it for me too. Uh, he's an amazing God. So we have an incredible testimony that I want to share with you this morning. It's kind of a, a two-part testimony. And uh, I, I know you're going to be blessed. And then at the very end, I'm going to come and just share my heart with you for just seven or eight minutes, if that's all right with you guys. Even if it's not all right, I'm just going to do that. So you might as well just play along. Come on, let's roll that video, guys. Hi, my name is Desiree D. Ray Cooper, and this is my story. Desiree, thank you so much for being here today. And uh, I think what God's done in your life the past five years is truly incredible. And I just wanted to take this opportunity to share that with Dream City Church. And by the end of this, we're going to be talking about um, some exciting things that are about to be happening. But let's just start at the, the beginning. Take us back to childhood, Desiree, and uh, tell us what that was about. I actually um, had a, a rough go at it. My dad and, and his friends um, liked me a little too much and uh, suffered lifetime consequences with that. Um, but in the midst of that, I also dealt with a mother who was very abusive in every other way except sexually. And my father went to prison when I was nine. Um, and after he left, um, I thought that was going to be the worst of it. But enduring the other abuse, the mental, emotional, the physical was harder. It was very hard. Um, and my sister, as my mom would say, ran away when she was 15 and I was 13. She had had enough of the abuse at home. And I came home from basketball trip and uh, all of a sudden my sister was gone. Just gone. And we'd always made a promise that uh, if one of us ever got out, we were going to take the other one with us. And it didn't happen. And I instantly became a mother overnight raising my little sister, trying to make sure that mom um, kept things straight. I'd be the one going to the grocery store, you know, taking a checkbook, driving different places, um, trying to make sure her sister was getting to school um, safely because driving is very unsafe with a mother who's an addict. Um, and so uh, going through that, it was almost just going through the motions, just trying to stay alive, um, just existing. And I made it through to my junior year, and I'd had enough of the abuse at home with mom. And when she went to hit me, I remember looking at her and said, if you do, it'll be the last time. I, you know, asked her for forgiveness since then, but, you know, I was, I was a, an abused teenager. You didn't know what else to do. And, and she looked at me, and she knew I was serious, and so she stopped, and, and she said, if you want out, leave. And I left. Um, and from there, I ended up meeting um, 
My future husband moved in with him immediately. I was still in high school. So my senior year, I got married, graduated high school, and got um, had my first baby as well, like the same year. So it was a very busy year for D-Ray. <laughs> a lot going on. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely a lot. Um, and then after that, again, I went through the rigmarole of what I thought was supposed to come next. I was married. I had children. And I had another. And another. And until I had seven. Um, and then I knew then, when I got very sick and so did my baby, that that was enough. And so I did what I needed to do. So no more kiddos. Um, but in that midst, I didn't know who I was. I hadn't healed from anything. I was just continuing to press on. Was, um, was God or church ever part of your life growing up at all? Very good question. Mom used church, I feel, as a babysitter, okay. which in turn saved me. That's where I found music as well. That's where I found music, and it kept me alive throughout my life. So yes, he was in there. Did I have a relationship? No. No. So, um, after I had all my children, um, just one day after I'm taking care of my children and others around the neighborhood, um, we lived in the ghetto in Oklahoma City, and one of the mothers just was like, hey, if you need a little bit of energy to take care of all these kids, and I was like, why not? Sure. You probably did need a little energy. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's a typical uh, one time here and there, my husband and I turned into every day every day and then um, I was also diagnosed with lupus and when I was diagnosed with lupus they prescribed me pain pills that started a vicious cycle that lasted about 12 years vicious cycle um, and then come my 15 year of marriage I guess that's how you say that um, we both had lost ourselves. He had gotten into alcohol. I was in pills. We were both smoking methamphetamines. And that's when we got the knock on our door, and it was DHS. I found myself at a, a dope house. My children gone, my husband gone. This is a year into the system, year into this process, okay? I got in a fight, broke my own wrist, ended up in the hospital. And I just knew something in me said, I can't continue this anymore. And at the time I looked at my girlfriend because I battled with homosexuality as well, which started with the roots from my father. It was from my father. So yeah, I was with my, my girlfriend and I looked at her and I said, I'm not gonna get my children back if I don't stop. I have to stop. She started beating me in the hospital. She got arrested and then I called my husband and I said, hey, I'm done and I need help. I really wanna, I want it, please help me. I don't wanna go back, please. He's like, man, I'm done with you. That's awesome. But I begged him again, please, I'm serious. And so we went to the dope house. And we went in there and we grabbed all my belongings. And I went and I checked in at the city rescue mission in Oklahoma City. That's where I hit the ground running.
like to be there with them. I knew what it was like to be one. I wasn't going to treat them like one. Not me. Yeah. You know? And that streak of homelessness taught me a lot too. How long were you homeless? Six months. Okay. Moving up. But six months, and that was going from trap houses, which, you know, that's no utilities. That's, you know, tons of people together doing gosh knows what. Couch hopping, seeing people overdosing, um, lots of violence. You got to be careful out there on the streets. I learned a lot. I learned a lot. Be aware of your surroundings. Um, I think that's one thing that I utilize today, too, you know, for my safety. Um, but yeah, in that little stretch there, um, after the homeless shelter, city rescue mission, I ended up coming back to McAllister because when we had the last court date for DHS, they gave my husband full custody and I didn't know what else to do. I had done all of my classes. It was two years of classes, UAs. I was walking the streets of Oklahoma City. I learned the bus system so that way I could get these babies back. I had blisters on my feet in the summer and I was sliding on the ice in the winter. You know, I was determined and I was going to do it. And I left what I had up there to come back here so I could have my babies. Yeah. And I still wasn't done, you know, because a lot of people are like, oh, rock bottom, lost your kids. No, that was a shattering. My rock bottom came December 7, 2018. No kids still, no husband, just D-Ray living a homosexual lifestyle, still taking pills. I thought it was okay, because it wasn't methamphetamines. And that day, I realized that I legit had nothing and nobody. to say is I've hit the ground running since and I have started out as um, just being a janitor at another church you know not being seen which is fine totally fine that's where I started really getting that relationship with Jesus I really developed a lot in that church learned a lot mm -hmm. oh my gosh I learned a lot so in the midst of that relationship, he was also building me out here on the outside to become the woman and mother that I'm called to be as well. I got my children back three years ago from DHS, completely, completely. Um, and so that was a huge thing too. That's a process that unless you've been there, you don't know. And I would love to one day be able to help others that are walking through that too. You know, the support system, help them get to their classes, um, stuff like that. Um, and then in the midst of coming and finding Dream City Church, I also got really connected and poured myself into Celebrate Recovery. Celebrate Recovery is my heart, my passion. Those are my people. We're all alike. We all admit we got issues. We love each other for who we are. So come as you are is legit. And then to be able to be given an opportunity to lead worship. 
I was missing teeth, y'all. I still am. I still am. I didn't care because I totally have felt worship in my heart since I was little. And I knew I could worship with these people unashamedly. I can make mistakes. It's okay. And when I say the Holy Spirit just shows up, he just shows up. I never thought I'd be good enough for it. I never thought I'd have the opportunity. But when God is in the midst, those doors are going to swing wide open. That's exactly right. No man can stop. That's exactly right. No man can stop. I know in the midst of sometimes that I should have been overdosing and I didn't. He was in the midst. He carried me. Always carried me. The peace that surpasses understanding is real too. Because some of those things I can't even explain, but the fear that you have is real. And then the day in the hospital, when I looked at her and I was like, I, I wanna live, I literally said, God, I wanna live. And it was almost like a, a final connection. I've been waiting for this. you are the picture of what the gospel is supposed to do. Um, the gospel is hope. The gospel is forgiveness. The gospel is God taking all these broken pieces and turning them into something really beautiful. And obviously God's not orchestrating some of the events of your life by any stretch of imagination. Uh, but he does have this beautiful way of taking what the enemy meant for evil and turning it into something good. And uh, I think that's what he's doing in your life and about to do even more. Uh, about two years ago, as you know, the Lord placed a dream in my heart on top of Prayer Mountain in Phoenix uh, about a community of transitional homes. And I wasn't home from Phoenix for a week before um, God just started moving and opening doors and things were falling into place. And um, as with any dream or, or any new ministry, I mean, there, there's a time of of praying and believing and um, there's opposition and things don't happen in the time frame that you think that they should uh, that's life but here we are today is November 19th and I think in about a month from now uh, Community Hope is going to be officially opening our first two uh, transitional homes which are duplexes um, so just unbelievable uh, the progress that's happening at Community Hope but one of the most exciting parts is that Desiree is going to be our Community of Hope Advocate, a.k.a. our Community Mama. And she's going to be living at Community of Hope mm -hmm. and pouring her love, pouring her life into uh, women and families who are coming out of similar situations that God has brought her out of. And D-Ray, just really quickly, would you just share with us, what does Community of Hope mean for these women and children? What, what would a community of hope meant for your life 10 years ago? And, and what could it mean for the futures of these ladies moving forward? Resources, connection, and it is hope, something I didn't have whenever I was struggling like that. To be able to have somebody who's been there means a lot more than somebody who's reading out of a textbook. I remember going through those classes or just dealing with whatever, life, and reading is one thing, living it is another. So to be able to connect with these women on the level of, hey, I've been there, I think that's going to be priceless. It's going to be priceless. This community needs hope. It does. Why not start here? Absolutely. Absolutely. What does a, a second chance like Community of Hope mean to 
to somebody who, who needs a hand up in life? Oh, wow. What is it? First of all, it means a lot less struggle. Yes. Because I went from house to house to house when I was trying to make it, when I was trying to do right, when I was trying to stay sober. That's a problem. It's that transition in between, hey, I want to be sober, and where do I go? It is huge. It's going to give them the sense of security, sense of hope, yes, opportunity. Man, it's going to help them soar a lot sooner than D-Ray did. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And, and really, that's the whole dream of Community of Hope. It's, it's, it's not a handout. It, it, it's a hand up. Um, we are all products of God giving us second chances, third chances, fourth chances, 10,000 chances. I mean, that's what His grace is. And um, it, it's giving women this opportunity to take two or three years of your life and not have to worry about where you're going to put your head this tonight. Mm. And um, affordable rent on a sliding scale, depending on their financial situation, giving these women opportunity to pay off court costs and mm. fines and all these things that once you get under, it. it's almost impossible to get out working with financial planners to learn how to budget, uh, learning parenting skills, learning adult skills yeah. that maybe they didn't get taught because their life wasn't normal and they didn't have a loving mom and dad teaching them things. So it's just incredible opportunity that we're gonna be able to offer to um, hopefully soon, uh, we'll have 19 duplexes and helping out 38 women, 38 families at a time yeah. to take two to three years of your life and to say, I'm gonna pour everything I have into my future. I'm gonna pour everything I have into who God's called me to be. Maybe I need to get my GED. Maybe I need to finish my bachelor's degree. Maybe I need to learn a trade skill. Whatever it is, it's this two or three year window to where, man, you're gonna dive into CR. You're gonna dive into life healing choices. You're, it's this beautiful opportunity to start over again on a life that maybe didn't start with a lot of hope, but man, uh, God's love and God's people are going to reach out and give women, in my opinion, what's one of the greatest gifts that could possibly give to them a second chance. Wow. So I, uh, I just, I'm so thankful for you, Dream City, for the support that you've already given us, for all the finances that have come in. Uh, we, we've built these first two duplexes completely debt-free and uh, have secured the funding for the next four duplexes to be built completely debt-free. Praise God. It's just amazing what God's doing. Phase one is going to be complete. And once we get those done, we're just going to keep moving, keep moving, keep moving. But this is what the church is supposed to be. It's more than just a place where Christians gather inside four walls. It's more than just listening to a preacher have another random sermon or singing a few songs. It's believers understanding that, that we are the hands and the feet of Jesus that faith is action, that sitting around in the church talking about it accomplishes nothing. But I believe, D-Ray, that God is raising up a passionate group of believers from all backgrounds, from, from, from all walks of life, and uh, he's assembling us in this place at this time, uh, four times such as yeah. this, and, and I just can't wait to see what God has for Community of Hope, what God has for Dream City Church in the future, and I'm just so excited that we have a church body just like you that is gonna be a part of something incredible.
Come on, somebody. Isn't it amazing what God can do? I mean, isn't it amazing what God can do? And um, yesterday I celebrated um, my five-year anniversary of being your lead pastor. And thank you. And just to look back at where we were just five years ago and to where we are today and what God has done and what God is doing, uh, it's, it's overwhelming. We, we serve a great God, and it's, it's not a story about uh, how good we are or how faithful we've been. It's a story about how good God is and about how faithful he is, even when, when we didn't deserve it, man. That, that's, that's the main part of the story. And there are a whole lot more Desiree Coopers in the world. I mean a whole lot more Desiree Coopers in the world that I believe are waiting for a church just like ours to love them, to believe in them, to see potential in them, and to allow God to do what only God can do, uh, something incredible, something eternally changing in their life. And I don't know about you today, friends, but that's why I'm here. Uh, I haven't missed a church service in the last... 40 years. I also turned 40 on Friday. Good God, help me. It's, it's unbelievable. It's, uh, I, I, I'm not here for another church service, and I don't know how many times I've read the Bible, and I don't have a clue how many sermons I've preached or songs I've sung or written. Or that, That's not why I'm here today. That, that doesn't excite me very much. But what does excite me is making a difference in the world that, that God has placed us in, an eternal difference, seeing souls changed and transformed. And I believe that it's just the beginning of what God is, is going to do with this church, with everybody who calls this place home, who's a part of this church. And I wanted to take just a minute, if you'll allow me, and just share my heart with you just a little bit. Uh, I want to be crystal clear this morning, and I mean crystal clear, uh, about last week's service, because there does seem to have been some confusion about that service. And I'm, I'm a little confused at what the confusion was about, but we're, we're going to, I, I want to specifically address the confusion in the sense that last week wasn't a message in support of homosexuality. That, that, it, it wasn't that at all. It was a message of how the love of Jesus can reach anyone and is willing to go to extreme measures sometimes to do so. That, I mean, that's what the message was. It was a message that there is no place that his love won't go because it is his will that none should perish. That, that's what the, the message was about. I need you to listen to me closely. I want you to hear from the horse's mouth. I've never been called a horse, but I've been called a donkey numerous times. There's no one else to talk to. I mean, th this is the dude. The, the buck stops right here this morning. So I want you to listen to me very, very, very closely. Homosexuality is a sin. It's honestly not debatable. Scripture is not only extremely clear on this matter, but extremely consistent. It's not just a pet scripture that you take from here. It is consistent. Through the entire Word of God, Old Testament and New Testament, homosexuality is a sin. I'm not here to debate that. I have never 
and I will never support sin. I, I do the opposite of that, friends. I will always stand on and teach the Word of God, no matter how uncomfortable or how unpopular that might be. I have consistently done that for five years, being willing to take a stand when few others were willing to take stands, and I will continue to do so, period. Take it to the bank. Cash that check. It's good, friends. I love Jesus with all my heart. I love his word. And I would literally give my life to protect that. I need you to hear me. This week has been a very eye-opening experience for me and has raised some serious questions and concerns. And I've come to the conclusion that if we're going to be the church that God's calling us to be, and if we're really going to reach the people that God's calling us to reach, then we have to allow Jesus to check the condition of our hearts. We have to. Allow me this morning to ask you a few questions, if you would. Do you know of a hospital that turns people away because they're sick? Of course not, that, that's why they're at the hospital, they're sick. Do you know of a shower that doesn't let people in because they're dirty? Of course, I mean, that, that's what the shower's for. It's because they're dirty. How are we going to reach lost people if we don't reach out to lost people? How, how, how do we do that? Friends, there is an entire community of people that are lost, that are hurting, that are broken, that are dying without Christ, spending an eternity in hell. And the church is failing to reach them. And might I say, failing miserably to reach them. It's, it's, a, it's a joke. And if we, Dream City Church, don't reach them, who's going to? Who's going to? Jesus said... It's not the healthy people that need a doctor. It's the sick. It's the sick. So just correct me if I'm wrong. Go ahead and interrupt me if I get off track this morning. But I, I'm pretty sure that you, every person in this room who calls yourself a believer, I'm pretty sure that you were lost, that you were dying in sin, that you were destined for an eternal hell, and you we're in desperate need of a Savior. Now, let me ask you this. Was your sin somehow a little less sinny than a homosexual? Maybe you just kind of, sort of, a little bit needed a Savior. Or maybe you weren't quite as guilty. Or maybe somehow you deserved the salvation that Jesus gave you as a free gift. Or maybe somehow your sin was just a little more forgivable than the sin of homosexuality. The truth this morning, friends, is, is that it wasn't. That you were just as lost, you were just as guilty, you were just as deserving of death, going to the exact same hell as the homosexual was when Jesus in his great love intervened, reached way down, saved you and rescued you, friends. You were in the same boat. I understand 
that to many of you, if not most of you in the room this morning, this is a sin, a struggle that you just can't relate with, that, that you just can't quite understand. I respect that. I get it. It's also a sin or a struggle that I, I can't relate with. But that's why I, I'm not asking you this morning to understand. But what I am asking you this morning to do is to love. Jesus was a friend of sinners, liars, thieves, prostitutes. He didn't tolerate them. They were his friends. This is who he spent time with, ate with, and spent the night at their houses. When Jesus told us to love, church, he didn't give any qualifying statements to go along with that command. He commanded us to love. Scripture doesn't say love as long as it's convenient. Love as long as it doesn't make you uncomfortable. Ooh, God forbid. Love as long as their struggle is relatable or somehow understandable to you, then you should love. Scripture doesn't say to, to love the liar, the thief, the alcoholic, the drug addict, the porn addict, the adulterer. Love all those people. Uh, just, just not the homosexual. That's not how the gospel works. There are no qualifiers to the love of Jesus, and there are no qualifiers to who Jesus died for, friends. He died for the rich, for the poor, for the young, the old. Jesus died for the liar, the thief, the murderer, the addict, the adulterer, and yes, he died for the homosexual, for the bisexual, for the pansexual, for the transgender, and he died for the furry friend. He died for them all. <laughs> they are loved, called, and chosen just like you. They are fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God just like you. They were born on purpose, for a purpose, with a dream and a destiny just like you you just like you church how dare we disqualify or discredit somebody that Jesus was willing to die for that's not what the gospel is and that's not the gospel we're going to teach from this church as a matter of fact scripture reminds us in Romans chapter 10 it tells us that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord, shall be saved. I don't know about you this morning, friend, but I'm so thankful that my sins fell in the category of whosoever, the same category that your sin falls under, the same category that the sin of homosexuality falls under. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord, believes they're a sinner, admits their need for a Savior, will be saved. Dream City, for a time just like this one, I believe you were born. I believe that you were placed here today in this sinful society. Corruption and sin that our society has never known. You placed here to reach souls and make an eternal difference in the world around us. He wants to do something so special 
so unprecedented in this place. He wants to use you to do it. But in order for that to happen, friends, we have to allow God to really search our hearts a little bit. Because there was, in fact, a group of people that Jesus didn't give a lot of hope to. There was, in fact, a group of people that even Jesus himself could not reach. Out of an entire community of people, we have record that he reached one. One. A group that he called hypocrites, fools, serpents, vipers, whitewashed tombs, and even went as far as to ask them, how shall you escape the sentence of hell? Strong words, friends. Would it surprise you to know this morning he wasn't talking to the addict, the adulterer, or the homosexual. He was talking to the religious, the legalistic, those who hide behind their own self-righteousness, who turn a blind eye to their sin and their shortcomings while casting judgment on others for theirs, who put roadblocks in the way of people in desperate need of Jesus. I don't know about you this morning, friends. I don't want to fall in that category. I have been forgiven so much, so I choose to forgive. I have received grace on top of grace, on top of grace, on top of, I'm a product of God's grace. How can I not give the exact same grace to the world around me, to the measure that you measure out is how much is gonna be measured back. And baby, I need grace and I need mercy and I need forgiveness. I'm not making an excuse for sin. It's just time for the church to start having some real conversations about real issues, about real people who are really dying and going to hell. I, I, I don't know how we're going to reach them. I, I don't have a strategy or a plan. No, I'm not going to hang rainbow flags around the church. I'm not going to have signs that say yay for gay. I'm not. In the same way that I wouldn't celebrate, hey, celebrate adultery month. Yeah, I mean, like, it's a sin. I'm, I'm not doing that. But I will continue to build a culture where people are safe to be open and honest about real struggles. I will do that. I will continue to build a culture of authenticity where it's okay to not be okay because that's been every one of us at some point in our lives. It's okay to not be okay because I know the man that can get you okay, but you gotta just keep coming back. And they're never gonna keep coming back if we're pushing them away and judging them and criticizing. They don't keep coming back like that, man. Jesus is the only answer. It's our job to get them to Jesus. We're called to be those four men that ripped a daggum hole in the roof, so desperate to get a lost person at the feet of Jesus. That's our jobs. I'll continue to do that and I will continue you to build a church that loves people through the process no matter what that looks like allowing God not me allowing God to work in their hearts and in their lives on his time schedule not my time schedule friends Put my name. That's my email. 
That's my personal cell number. Everybody in town already has it anyways. You tell me another pastor of a church this size that does that. There's not one. It might take me a few days, but I will meet with you. And I will answer any question or any concern that you might have. Because I care about you, the plans that God has for your life, but I also care about reaching this community. There's only one way we're going to do that, friends. That's if we do it together. Okay? So, hey. If you have questions, if you have concerns, please come talk to me. It's far more effective to come talk to me instead of talking about me. Would you believe that? But I'm telling you this. If you come into my office to debate, you better have your your facts straight, baby, because I never lose a debate. So best of luck to you. I love you, Dream City Church. God bless you. Have an amazing Thanksgiving break.